Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of the Mind Body Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Michaels, and I've got a treat for you guys today. I've got an interview with Eddie Lindenstein, who, if you're at all dipping your toes in the TMS community on Facebook, you will recognize him from the Mind and Fitness podcast, which is awesome. So you got to go check that out. I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, But he brings, um, you know, kind of the fitness, physical fitness aspect to the TMS space, which I think is a Uh, an important piece that a lot of us miss out on simply due to fear. You know, it's like Sarno says, that's probably the most important thing to get back to physical activity, even the most vigorous. And yeah, we're, we're scared. (laughs) And so, um, Eddie tested that to the limits with his pain recovery story. Um, and he felt better every time he did that. So, um, so that's uh, an important piece to remember that I think we all forget. I know I did. Um, not only because I'm like historically sedentary, but also because, you know, my pain was, was programmed to be triggered by movement. And that's a scary thing because you think you're damaging yourself further. Um, but that's not the case at all. So move fearlessly. We'll check out the episode, and uh, and then at the end, I'm going to read you uh, a little piece that he wrote a couple days after we spoke um, that I think wraps it up just so nicely. So without further ado, we're going to get into the interview, um, and also please remember to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review if you can, um, and uh, yeah, we'll read some reviews uh, next week. So thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Here's Eddie. So I'm here today with Eddie Lindenstein, who you might recognize as not only a beloved presence within our TMS community, but he's also the host of his own podcast called the Mind and Fitness Podcast, where he's interviewed some giants in the field of TMS like Steve Ozenich, um, Nicole Sachs, and more recently, Christy Weepy of the Pain Psychology Center. And there's even an episode with yours truly, which is episode <laughs> 16, if you're interested. Eddie, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So I like to bring people on the show who have gone through their own healing journey of sorts. So we're going to begin with your story, if that's okay. So can you just kind of give our listeners a synopsis of what your pain was like, what your diagnoses were, and uh, where you traveled through the world of Western medicine? Yeah, so um, so I would say that the there's kind of like two sides of it. There is when I originally thought it started, which is when my my neck and my back started acting up. Um, but then after reading Steve's book and looking at all the equivalents and seeing that I probably really had um, you know mind body symptoms going back to probably five or six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really amped up just in the last uh, the last couple of years. So in August of 2016, um, let me actually go back a little bit. So I in October of 2015, I uh, dislocated my shoulder and I, I sustained like a pretty serious 
shoulder injury and I, I held off from having surgery for a while. And actually by the time that I had surgery, I was pretty close to pain free, but was convinced that I still needed to get the surgery. I had my shoulder redone in April of uh, 2016. And then um, as the time got closer and closer to where I was going to be medically cleared, I started having different types of health problems. And, um, you know, I was like slated to get, uh, cleared for full activity in September and I'm a, I'm a competitive weightlifter and like, I was ready to get back to my sport and, you know, do all the things that I love to do and play with my kid and do all that. But then in August, um, of that year, like, like late August, I started having, um, it really, really freaked me out. Uh, what, I had a little bit of knee tendonitis. I went to the doctor. I got that taken care of. And then I woke up one day with what I found out was sciatica. Um, it was just my, my right leg was just like almost completely numb. And it was so hard to walk. It felt like my right leg was, uh, you know, was 300 pounds. And I would have like the electricity feeling um, throughout my leg. And I just like, I was really freaked out because anything involving the spine or anything involving nerves was new territory to me. And my shoulder was now feeling a hundred percent, but now suddenly I have this, this, uh, sciatica issue. And actually, um, just looking up like some stretches and stuff online, I didn't end up going to any doctors for that, but I, I found some stretches online for the piriformis muscle, um, which is now a well-known, uh, TMS equivalent. But, mm-hmm. um, I did some, I did some stretches and, uh, within a couple of days that was gone. Um, but then, you know, a few days later I, I was working out, I was doing some, uh, some pull-ups and I had, uh, some spasming happening in my back and suddenly like my back just locked up and just never gave way. And so the next several months, so th- this would have put us like September of 2016 and for the next several months, uh, for the next nine or 10 months, it was just doctor to doctor to doctor to medical specialist. I saw 25 different people, um, and I would I'd estimate like I was probably somewhere around ten thousand uh, dollars spent out of pocket, not counting you know I had I had insurance too, so mm-hmm. it could have been a lot it could have been a lot worse. But um, I had my neck x rayed I had my back x rayed I had my neck MRI, which you know I got the bill for that. It was like six hundred bucks, and then um, and. Uh, I got told I had thoracic outlet syndrome. That was one of the first like actual diagnosis that I was given. And um, thoracic outlet syndrome, basically, it's like a, it's a block of the nerve tissue and uh, could be arterial too. Like it could be actually like stopping blood flow um, to your arms because my fingers would feel numb on occasion. And uh, I, I, I went in, I got some Botox injections that were done, um, didn't help at all into like my pec minor and some muscles in my neck. And then I actually traveled uh, to Montana. It was like a 20 hour round trip drive over a two, two or three day stretch to have my neck operated on, um, thinking that that would be the answer to all my problems. And of mm-hmm. course it was not. Right. <laughs> uh, and you know, I, I saw shoulder specialists and neck specialists and back specialists and stuff, but then I came across a doctor at the university of Washington. Um, she's actually the head physician for the men's football team. And, uh, she, Looked at, looked at my neck and looked at my back. I even had like positive EMG results that said, hey, there's like a problem here. Like you have nerve lesion issues. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, I don't care what the tests say. Uh, I, I think that this has something to do with your stress life and started asking me about, you know, questions about my um, life. And this is like somebody that does regular surgeries and medical interventions and things like that. And, and here she was referring me to a psychologist um, and said, I think that 
this is, she's like, don't get me wrong. Like I love doing the kind of procedures that you're coming in here asking for. But, uh, she said, I think that this is a psychological problem and, um, you know, work on some relaxation stuff, see this psychotherapist. And if you don't see some results, we can talk about like SSRIs. And I was just completely like thrown off. Cause I was like, I don't feel stressed. I don't feel depressed. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I have anxiety, any of this stuff. Uh, but um, a few weeks later, I found Dr. Sarno's book and I read it in two nights and it was just like, you know, it was that moment where like uh, you're, you're seeing the world in black and white and then whoosh, like it's color all of a sudden. Yeah. 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 And that's, that was, uh, you know, the, the rest isn't totally history, but, um, <laughs> but, but that was, uh, that was certainly a big change. And when my, when I read Dr. Sarno's book and my pain level went down, 70% almost overnight. I knew wow. that, that, yeah, that, that doctor was onto something and I, and I'd been looking in the wrong way. Yeah. Awesome. So was it difficult, like being that you were in the physical fitness field and you knew so much about like tendons and ligaments and muscle groups and all of that, was it hard for you to accept the TMS diagnosis? Um, by that point, no, yeah. but, uh, about six months before that, I remember I came, I don't know how I came across it. I think I was probably like buying a, you know, like a mobility tool, um, off Amazon or something. Mm -hmm. And one of the recommendations was Steve Ozanich's book, uh, the great pain deception. It was like, you know, recommended to purchase or people that have purchased this have also purchased this. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like people have gone to Amazon, bought a bunch of tools to, to, <laughs> to get rid of their back pain. And then eventually, you know, months down the road, they buy Steve Ozanich's yes. book. And, <laughs> and so I, uh, I saw it because I remember the like Illuminati, you know, the, the whatever yeah. emblem it is that he has in front of it. And I looked at the description and read the um, like the little, you know, the description that's listed on Amazon. And I was like, oh, you know, I, what is this? This is a guy lying, you know, whatever. <laughs> it is. And I didn't and I didn't even, you know, I didn't think twice about it. Um, However, I do remember coming across, I was on Reddit uh, a couple of months before I found Dr. Sarno's book, and there was a physical therapist, it sounded like a very disgruntled physical therapist, who was, um, it was in a thoracic outlet syndrome thread, and she came on and started talking about, you know, there's like 500 comments on this thread, and she made a comment about how uh, back and neck pain and uh, thoracic outlet syndrome and all this um, is emotionally rooted and it's psychologically based oh. and you guys are basically wasting your time. And she's, she said something about feeling like she wasted a hundred thousand dollars yes. going to school for <laughs> physical therapy and then, uh, and then learning all this other stuff. And she got, you know, per you, like she got crushed, right. By yeah. these guys that were in this forum and saying how much of a joke she was and how, you know, these are real injuries and all this kind of stuff. And, and like, I never ended up being able to find her screen name or anything like that again to kind of go back and revisit it. But I, I had heard, um, you know, that was one example. And then the, coming across Steve-O's book was another example. So I definitely had had it like peppered in, mm -hmm. uh, in that time, but just never took it seriously until it was, you know, Steve says all the time, like people have to be ready. And I think yeah. by that point I was just, I was more ready to accept. Yeah. Awesome. So when your pain went down that initial like 70%, did you go right back to physical activity or did it take some confidence building to get there? Uh, it took no confidence building, oh. um, actually. And I know that a lot of people, like I've actually, so if you read Healing Back Pain, I didn't read the one before that because um, the Healing Back Pain is the second of the four books that he put out. But mm -hmm. uh, in Healing Back Pain, he's very explicit that you need to go back to full physical activity and the more rigorous the you know, the, yeah. the better or whatever. 
But then when I read the um, the mind body prescription a few months later, he had almost uh, backed off that a little bit and talked about easing into it until the pain was drastically down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, because I'd only read a healing back pain, I literally jumped right back into it. So it was like I read the book on June 30th and July 1st, because there's not 31 days in, in June. Um, <laughs> I, I was back at the gym and I went back to a CrossFit gym. I prepaid for three months. You know, I hadn't, I was so excited. I hadn't picked up a weight in six months. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, you count the shoulder injury and the shoulder surgery. It had been almost two years by this point since I had felt really pretty healthy. Um, and I just went right back in with, you know, reckless abandon, as they say, like, you know, as if, as if nothing happened. And I still had like my, um, you know, I was still having like pain issues and tightness and things like that. But, I think to me, uh, I feel like my personal opinion is that the biggest thing that people need to do to heal is to get back to, to full activity. I'm a big mm. believer. To me, like if I were to write a book on this stuff, that would be number one to mm, me. Right. Um, now, did you have pain increase when you first went back to the gym? And did that set up any doubt for you at all? Or did you kind of just go right through it? Uh, I did not have any, in fact, when I would lift, I would feel much better. Wow. And that should, that should have sent me overall. I mean, even back, like when I was struck, because when I first started having a lot of these pains in August of, of, uh, 2016, um, I had still lifted for four months, four or five months before I completely gave it up in the beginning of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I always, you know, I, I, for some reason I never connected the dots or thought further of it on why how can I work out for two hours and feel better? And then, but as I would work out, I literally be saying to myself, like, you're going to pay for this later. And, uh, and I, I would finish. And then within about 10 minutes of putting the barbell down and going to pick up my kid or, you know, whatever the next task to do is, um, I would feel worse. And, uh, but it would always be like, everything would just tighten up like a, like a boa constrictor was around my torso and my neck. And, but it still didn't make sense. Like when I think of acute injuries, I think of, you know, if you tweak your knee or whatever, and you take a step or you like something where you can repeat a symptom, you know what I mean? Like to me being able to actually make a predictable, it's no different than like, if you take your car to a mechanic and you say, Hey, my engine makes this noise. If you can't duplicate the symptom, then it to me an anomaly than anything. right? Right. Um, so being able to actually replicate a symptom, I feel like is, is pretty critical and pretty crucial. And I could never do that. It never made sense to me. Um, so I certainly didn't feel worse. Uh, and, and actually, after reading Sarno's book and getting back to the gym, especially in those first few weeks, I did not have that fear as I was working out that said, oh, you're going to pay for this. Awesome. And thus, I did, I did not have any more. I didn't have any additional pain when I finished. Yeah, so cool. Um, so I remember in one of your podcasts, you had mentioned your mom and how she kind of has her own chronic pain issues and she's got a little trouble kind of accepting TMS in general. But my question is, when you were growing up, were you at all aware of any pain that your mom or anyone else in your family was dealing with at the time? Or did they kind of conceal that? Um, So my dad had two hip replacements. Um, and, uh, so he had a hip replacement that was done in probably like 1997 and then another that was done in maybe 2009 or 2008 or somewhere around that. Uh, so we had a couple of hip replacements. Um, my mom, I don't remember her, I don't remember her talking about pain really of any kind yeah. until maybe, maybe the last 15 or so years, 10 or 15 years. Uh, and she, she's been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, mm. which 
says like in his book like this is the like this is one of the very few exceptions however she does it's it's supposedly just in her hands but she gets you know tmj issues and all that kind of stuff and there's a lot of things within um sarno nozanich's book that they specifically cite as these are tms equivalents um so other than my dad's hip replacements growing up i don't remember uh i don't remember physical pain issues uh in my no Okay, so did your so I know for Mother's Day you gave your mom a copy of Mind the Mind Body Prescription. Did she read it, and is she like getting any closer to <laughs> accepting? <laughs> so, uh, so we haven't really talked about it since oh. I gave those. So I gave her, so I gave her healing back pain, and I gave her the Mind Body Prescription. I handed those both to her, and her first response was without even looking at what the book was about. And I'd actually never talked about the books to her. Um, oh. She she turned to me and said, "You do know that my pain's real, right?" Aww. That was the response, Mom. you know, like Happy Mother's Day, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, fine. Um, so I I we haven't talked about it since. However, uh, probably three weeks after Mother's Day, um, my wife and I dropped our youngest daughter off there, and she was napping um, in my parents' room. And uh, when I went and picked her up, I did notice that both books were on my mom's nightstand. Okay. So I don't know if that means that. I don't know if that means that she read them, but they're in the, they're, they're in the bed, you know, what, what is it called? They're in, oh, they're on deck. Sorry. Yes, they're on yes. deck to be, to be read. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, um, in one of your podcasts, you talk about what you coined as the beaker of health, which I kind of interpreted essentially as kind of our reservoir of rage or pressure that builds up over the years, which then leads to pain if we leave it unattended. So was there a combination of things that you think led to your pain coming up in those last two years, or was it a combination of childhood and current life pressure? What do you think was the biggest trigger for you? So when I think about the beaker, um, my therapist would always, he'd use the term box of rocks. Everybody has a certain box of rocks and uh, the the size of yours is going to be essentially dependent upon your genetic makeup. Like what did your parents give you? Because that's going to determine how big your, how big your box is. And I, I agree with that. Um, and just knowing how much of a stress case my mom can be, I don't think mine's that big (laughs) to be honest. Uh, but, um, yes, certainly. So I, though I had little, you know, pain issues, um, that happened before I had kids, it really ramped up after I had kids. And that's where like, the works of Nicole Sachs really speak to me is that um, it, it's not necessarily that I had this uh, this disillusioned idea that parent, you know fatherhood was going to be really really easy. I guess I just um, underestimated how much you kind of have to sacrifice when you have yeah. children. I feel like that's a big part of it, but also just being in a, a high stress job. Like I'm a salesperson mm-hmm. by day. Like. I, that's my thing and I'm very, very good at it and I have been, but at the same time, I also have put an enormous amount of, um, un, you know, unjust stress on myself to be better than everybody else, yeah. achieve more than everybody else, make more money than everybody else. And ultimately like, it's just very short term thinking, right? It got me, um, it got me to have a great career, but it probably also ended up costing me a lot, um, you know, a lot of health issues. And so yeah. when I, like right when I read Sarna's book, I, I went back and I made a list of uh, pretty much going back to the beginning of my sales career. Every time that I either got like in a stomach related Ill- illness, like, you know, what I interpreted as either the flu or food poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, when did I have problems with 
uh, knees or elbows or um, shoulders or anything like that. And the fascinating thing that I found is that 100% of the time, um, I had a uh, symptoms that you could um, that began within three weeks of the end of a, of a quarter, like a sales quarter. Wow. Uh, you could you could always draw it within 21 days of that quarter ending. I was having some kind of a medical problem, and that was the that was probably a bigger eye opener for for me than anything because now it was like this tried and true evidence. I mean, who gets the flu like twice in three weeks? Like right. that happened at the end of the that happened at the end of the year in 2016. I still had like my back and neck issues, but um, suddenly my stomach started giving me so many problems, and I, I went to see a doctor. Um, and he told me, he diagnosed me with a pretty serious, like infectious disease without doing it yet. So he diagnosed me with that, wanted to start me on antibiotics immediately, uh, and said, we'll get the culture, you know, the labs back in a couple of days. And then I went back and I, you know, I started Googling what this thing is that he said, and it was like, Oh my God, like this is really bad. Um, and then, uh, you know, this is like December 27, 28th ish. It's like right around Christmas of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, he calls me, he says, well, all the tests came back negative. I don't know what's, I don't know what's wrong with you. Oh, um, God. and then I, I, I finished out my sales goals for the year. I made my fifth president's club, you know, which is kind of the elite of the, of the company. And then I went to bed and I woke up the next day and all my stomach problems were gone. hundred percent. Wow. Um, I still, I still had like the back and, and neck issues, but the stomach problems went away. Right, and I just chalked it up to, oh, that's weird. Like I didn't, I didn't tie together the two until I actually made that list um, after reading Soto's book. Yeah, so that was kind of like one of your symptom imperatives. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely for sure. Yeah. Did you have anything else come up, like any new pain that you hadn't experienced before um, during this process of getting rid of the neck and back stuff? No, uh, it's pretty much all stayed. Cons- uh, I guess that you could say stomach, like yeah. extreme stomach tightness um, happens. I also tend to get like flickering in my abdominal muscles. Like yeah. they're not, I wouldn't call them spasms, but like twitching. it's almost like twitching, right? Yeah. Like, uh, and like, um, you know, like you ate something that just doesn't agree with you. And usually that'll clear up pretty fast. Actually, just by doing when I had Christy uh, Weepy on my show, she had talked about, um, what did she call it? Something based body work, but basically being able to check in with herself when she has a symptom and I'll do kind of the same thing, you know, a couple deep breaths, reassuring myself that I'm, you know, that I'm safe and stuff like that. And that twitching will go, will go away. But going back like to childhood, I mean, I had, I had terrible nosebleeds. I had frequent urination problems. I had, um, I had reflux, like really bad reflux, uh, for, for a few weeks. Um, and it started like, at the end of a quarter at school when I, you know, I was taking, uh, 1.25, the amount of classes like that normal person would take, I was taking 20 credits and I was commuting about 90 miles each way each wow. day. So about miles. I mean, I had an internship. I worked 32 hours a week. I was taking full classes on site. Like, wow. um, the body was breaking down It needed a, it needed a break. Yeah. And that's really what the reflux gave me was a break. Yeah. Right. Now, throughout your whole journey, you mentioned you saw a therapist. Were there any other treatment strategies that you kind of adopted and continued to do? Or have you done kind of like the bulk of your emotional excavation and you just kind of check in with yourself every now and again? What do you what do you do now? So at this point, it's more the latter. Um, I do do about 
I don't even know if I last five minutes. I might last more like a minute and a half or two minutes. But my um, ritual, if you will, when I go to bed is that I, I'll lay down. I'll usually open up a chat. You know, I'll read like three or four pages of one of those Anich's books. I actually just finished uh, Back Pain, Permanent Healing, which I know that the, the Bible of TMS is the great pain deception. But I might even make the argument that his second book is even better. And a lot of people haven't read it, but I feel like it's better. Uh, yes. It's it's much more digestible. I feel like it has it's easier to reference back um, to reference back to. So I'll usually read a couple of pages of that, and then I'll do like some diaphragmatic breathing. Mm-hmm. And I I used to set a timer for five minutes, but what I was finding is that I would fall asleep in two, and then three minutes later my alarm would blur, oh. and, I, <laughs> and I would wake up again. So I stopped doing the I stopped doing the alarm, and instead I just would do the breathing and usually I'm asleep in, you know, 90 seconds or two minutes or something like that. Um, but really pretty amazing because I was having, I was having some sleeping troubles, obviously going through this whole, uh, this whole thing. But early on, like, you know, even though I read Sarna's book, like I had belief, um, but there were still times where, you know, maybe once every two months or something like that, I would think to myself, Oh, maybe this is a trigger point somewhere and I need to do some more physical stuff with it. And, uh, so I'd roll around in a ball for, you know, 10 minutes or something and I'd feel astronomically worse. Yeah. And then I'd be like, okay, no, you know better. Like stop doing that. <laughs> and then I went and I saw, um, I saw a chiropractor one time, oh. um, because it was told to me by a friend of mine that this guy is not your back cracking chiropractor. He's a, uh, He's into like the fascial system, and I, I'm very interested in the fascial system as it relates to physical activity because um, for weightlifting and, and for bodybuilding, like uh, being able to, to utilize and manipulate fascia is kind of a bigger – it's a bigger part of ways that you can have – gain better flexibility, better mobility in certain positions and weightlifting, but not to be designed for therapeutic purpose. Like that's not how I think of it usually, but um, it caught my eye because he's the first practitioner that I've heard of that really – um, at least first chiropractor that I've heard talk about fascia. So I went and I saw him and he starts digging into my stomach and, uh, my back actually did loosen up a lot. And then I had a recoil where it actually felt worse, but then he started talking about, you know, my flat feet and I needed to buy a custom orthotics and all this. And I, and I canceled all future appointments and, yeah. and so that was over. So, so like, you know, that was the last practitioner of any kind that I saw. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I'll stick with, with psychology. And, and yes. I feel like to me, unless I have trauma, like, you know, I get in a car accident and I get a harpoon through my leg. I feel like that's really <laughs> the best thing you can do. Nice. Now, um, I'm sure before Sarno, you, um, had a whole like stretching regimen before each workout. Um, has that changed since discovering Sarno and, and do you even like bother to stretch before workouts now? It's like very limited. I'll do um, just because my sport demands so much of my legs. I'll usually do. Uh, I'll stretch my quads for forty seconds. I'll stretch my hamstrings for a minute, minute and a half, and then I'll stretch my uh, my groin for I don't know thirty seconds or something mm-hmm. a minute. And I'll do a couple of arm circles just because I want to get my shoulders a little bit warm. But that's it. Like yeah. my total regimen usually. I, I always start a timer when I when I start my training and uh, like the minute I walk into the gym, the timer's on and stretching and warm up. I'm usually starting to work up in weights in 10 minutes or less. And it used to be, um, you know, pre-Sarno and when I was in that period of time where I was in a lot of pain, but I was still lifting, I was usually spending about 
an hour to an hour and a half a day of stretching and the pre-workout stretching or physical therapy regimen was somewhere around 45 minutes or so. And then I would get to actually do my workout. Um, and I'm so happy those days are over yeah. because it's an enormous time suck, but, yeah. uh, it's, you know, to me, it's not fun sitting around and, you know, stretching out this and rolling on that and right. doing all this. It's just, uh, it's just an enormous amount of work to be honest. Takes the fun out of a lot yeah. of it. Has your like, um, physical ability really increased since discovering the work of Sarno and TMS? Uh, definitely. I, I am much stronger than I ever was, uh, pre, even pre pain, even before any of the shoulder stuff happened oh. three years ago. Um, my squat numbers are the biggest they've ever been. My clean and jerk and my snatch are the biggest they've ever been. All my squats, my deadlifts, like, um, every, every measurable way that you can, uh, that you can compare a strength athlete, I'm up 20 or 25%. And that's after being, I mean, I've been in this training in this sport for six and a half years now. And to have the biggest gains come after reading Sarno's books, like to me is the most amazing part. Yeah. So cool. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, one random question I have for you. I know you're kind of a big fan of professional wrestling did you did you happen to see the andre the giant documentary on hbo i did uh i did yes yeah and do you what do you feel like would have happened if he had read sarno do you think that would have made an impact on his life even though he had like an actual physical condition um or or what do you think about that i do so um there was a guy in there. I don't know if you remember him, but he was a friend of Andre's. He yes. had a beard. He owns a bar. His name's Tim White. And yes. he was a referee for a long, long time. Um, and uh, he he talked a lot about, you know, he was Andre's closest closest friend, right, in the, in the business. And he just talked a lot about uh, this amount of sadness that Andre had because he felt so lonely and he felt so yeah. out of place and he would smash into these airplanes and, and things like that. And, I, you know, I don't doubt that you being seven foot four and 500 or 600 pounds and flying, you know, flying coach to Tokyo would, Mm. would put a a strain on your body and you would feel a little bit uh, shut in. But I do think that his rapid body breakdown had a lot to do with, I also think that, that his drinking had a lot to do with his, with, with his depression, you know, he's drinking and it's not, I mean, it was originally a myth, but now it's been confirmed by so many people that knew him really well, but drinking a hundred beers a night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think, cause there's a, there's a, there's been a couple of guys throughout time that have come around that have been Andre's size that are not in the physical dire straits that Andre's right. in. There's a guy, a wrestler named, um, the big show, big show, Paul White. And he is almost exactly the same size that Andre was. Uh, and, um, he's had incredible longevity and he moves better and he hasn't had the kind of issues. And when you kind of see him interact and hear people talk about him, he's not a, He's not that kind of guy. He's, in fact, has been um, pretty much, I don't want to say injury-free, but he hasn't been played by injuries, and he's now been in the business for 23 years. Um, he doesn't have the kind of sadness and depression issues, yeah. uh, at least it seems. Not that, that we know of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not, not that we know of, but he would have the same problems. He still has to get on airplanes and fly across the world, and he's still the same size, right? They yeah. have, He hasn't been able to shrink himself. Um 
so I, I do. I, I, I definitely could see uh, could see some Sarno at you know some Sarno S stuff in yeah. Andre the Giant. Yeah, I was just thinking about TMS the entire time while I was watching that documentary. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're listening and you haven't seen the Andre the Giant documentary, it's well worth your time. I cried a lot. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so a couple more questions, Eddie. Um, now that you've kind of been in this podcast space for a while and you've been a kind of a part of the TMS groups for about a year now, what do you see as like the biggest stumbling blocks for people that are still kind of stuck in the pain cycle? Um, so I, the, the podcast that I put out that just went out as we record this today, uh, you know, today is June 27th. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that I put out today, there was, so what I did on Monday is I went out to those, to those TMS groups on Facebook and the community. And I asked, how is your life different since you found Sarno? And most, I mean, 99% of the responses were people saying my life has changed and my life is better. And here's all the things that I can do. But there was one person uh, that was on there that had talked about how they haven't lifted weights in so many months. And they know that, um, you know, that they, that they're, they are frail and that they, mm. Uh, their muscles need to build back up strength. And so they're going to, you know, they're going to try and pick up a vacuum cleaner or whatever. And I get, like, I get it. Um, however, you know, I, I was the same way. I'd spent six months away from doing anything and I went right back in. And I feel like that once you sort of strike down that fear that's in front of you, but like, that's the only way that you're going to be able to make strides. Again, if I were to write a blueprint of how to recover from TMS, the first thing I would put on there is, maximum physical activity and for some people that's a walk around the block but right. i think that there could be some kind of an element of pushing past the pain i look at it as okay your back and your neck hurt but if you go and you you know you go and you deadlift 100 pounds will you die and the answer will always be no right. so like what is it that you have to lose even if it's going to make you hurt more like there's plenty of people that have recovered that have initially felt they feel worse and then they feel so much better and they start feeling better and better and better. And I think not only do they get stronger, which is good for anybody. Um, but I think that they also are, uh, sending a message to that part of your brain that like, I'm okay and I'm safe. It's similar to, to telling yourself that I have, um, that I have some safety. So, uh, so I think that they feel physical activity first and foremost. Um, I think that, uh, that they still have, um, I think that there's a lot of doubt there. And, you know, I, I, I buy the whole idea that you need to have 100% trust in, the, in TMS in order to, you know, to heal 100%. But I feel like you could also get pretty far by getting most of the way there. There's a lot of the read of people that have gotten most of the way there, and they feel so much better that it put it gets them to enough physical activity where I think that it pushes them into 100% and totally healed and that that's the end of it. So I think that it's um, not enough physical activity and it's not buying into the end of the concept. Enough. And they still do little things like, you know, talk about their pain. There's a couple of guys in these groups that you know, they'll go on and say, has anybody ever had fill in your symptom? Yeah. And to me, like when I read that, I always want to respond and it, it's, it would sound so catty, so I just don't do it. But uh, <laughs> my thought is always, Hey, if like, if you have to ask, has anybody had this? The answer is yes. Right. So like, why, why bother asking? Right. Um, and, I, and I also think that that's, uh, it's, it becomes like a group think mentality where people sort of, you know, misery loves company. And so people may seek out, uh, stories of people that are still, that are not, you know, that are not there. And I've talked quite a few times on my show about a guy, Jeremy Whitaker. I don't know if you've read his story, but he's the guy who 
Um, he had like 20 years of back pain. He, he now uh, travels from city to city in an RV and he was healed by Sarno and he's like four or five years pain free now. But um, he had really just talked about like the necessity of reading only success stories and reading only positive reviews and yeah. reading all the people that have healed because it honestly doesn't do you any good to go and look at people that have not. Right. So if I'm ever on the TMS wiki, which I don't spend a ton of time on there anymore, but if I'm ever on there, I only go to the success forum. That's all that I want to yeah. see yeah. are success stories because, um, you know, those are the, those people that have been able to push past. And the, the way that I estimate, like, I was trying to think if there's any sort of a mathematical equation for, um, number of people that re- that buy a book and read a book but leave a review on Amazon and I feel like it has to be one percent or five percent right. like that number has to be very very small right. right so if you take the total reviews between all four of Sarno's books two of those Anich's books and one of Nicole Sachs's books there's got to be close to three thousand reviews maybe four thousand reviews and you know four point five out of five stars so we're saying ninety to ninety five percent of those are positive um you're probably talking about if you if you extrapolate that it has to be in the three I'd say three to thirty million uh, range has to be people that were healed by the works of one of those three people yeah um, throughout you know throughout the entire course of time and worldwide that number is easily in the millions um, and it's just uh, I, I feel like there's so much positivity and positive messaging that you can go out there and read of people that have healed that it makes no sense to stick around and look at people that have it yeah. Did you happen to read the reviews on Amazon before you actually read the book? Uh, did I read any of the reviews mm-hmm. on Amazon? Uh, I did. Of course I did. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, oh, uh, I, oh, touching my eye was like, uh, I always sort by most recent um, anytime I buy anything. And uh, it was amazing. There, there had been this like influx of reviews in the previous few days that uh, had really talked about, um, they were much more, I don't want to say that my conditions weren't serious. I got diagnosed with some serious shit, yeah. but these people were talking about spinal stenosis and six herniated discs and, uh, disc protrusions and all this kind of stuff. Like now these guys are talking about some crazy stuff and, um, they're all now hundred percent healed. Like it, it's wild, you yeah. know, um, being able to see those kind of people recover. And then it starts to become, if those people can do it, why, you know, why not me or why right. can't I? Right. And, uh, you know, that, that, I think that that's sort of the first igniter and the first switch that, that moves. And then when I grabbed the book, like I read Sarah's book in two days, I read Sachs's book in one day. I took me the great pain deception took me like two, two, three months yes. to get through. Yes. Um, <laughs> but back came perfectly healing took me two weeks. You know, it's, it's shorter. It's much, uh, much easier to read, but, um, the works of all these people are amazing. And I, I think that it's kind of a bummer that their entire business model is built on non-repeat business because <laughs> for all the money that the, that chiropractors out there are making at this point, like I just feel like to me it's it's the same argument as teachers need to be paid more because the investment that that they're putting into the lives right. of people is is so much richer than a lot of people that make so much more money than them. Right. And um, I I feel the exact same way about these uh, psychologists that are actual actually doing you know true healing. True healing. Yep. Awesome. So we're going to wrap things up, Eddie. I just want to give you an opportunity to tell everyone where they can find you and and how they can listen to your podcast. So uh, you can find me in a few places. Uh, the number one place I will send you is uh, the Mind and Fitness podcast, which at this point, um, iTunes slash Apple is how I think the last stat I looked was 70% of listeners were listening on that platform. So 
Um, if you've got an iPhone or a MacBook or a, any sort of an iDevice, and you just type in the Mind and Fitness Podcast, you'll find it. Um, if you like what you hear, reviews are, are greatly helped. I went from, I was like the fourth or fifth uh, podcast that would come up when you would type uh, Mind and Fitness, and now I'm number two. So like the reviews have helped tremendously. Um, but you can also find me now on Spotify as of yesterday. It took like two months of reviewing to get that finally done. Nice. And then iHeartRadio, Google Play Music. Um, so you can find it in a lot of places. You can also find it on Audio Boom. Uh, so that would be the number one place. You can find me on Instagram. My handle's very long, but it's at Eddie Lindenstein. And I have created a Mind and Fitness Podcast Instagram page, but um, to be honest, like two Instagram pages, I know it sounds such like <laughs> such a first world problem, but, uh, but managing two of those is kind of a pain. You can find me on Facebook too, um, at the Mind and Fitness Podcast. I, I just, I post uh, anything that about the show goes straight on to there, um, but those are all the places that you can find me. Awesome. I'll put links to all that in the show notes awesome. today too. So Eddie, thanks so much for being with us today and uh, yeah, we'll see you. We'll see you around. Cool. Thanks Caitlin. All right, guys. Thanks so much for sticking with me today and listening to Eddie's story. I wanted to wrap today up with uh, a post that he made the other day on Facebook. He made it on Saturday and I emailed him right away and I was like, can I? read that on the air and he's like I'm an open book. So the post was titled Feelings Man and it goes like this. A few days before Audrey was born, my back pain was coming back with a vengeance. I was trucking along because as parents it would seem like we should be attending to the 3-year-old and getting the house ready for the incoming baby. As the time drew closer, the pain intensified. Then, the day before Jenny was induced, my friend Chris died, and I spent close to an hour in an uncontrolled spiral of crying with no ability to stop. When I stood up, my pain was gone. In the last couple of weeks, I've felt anxious. Anxiety isn't something I've really ever dealt with. Just the feeling of unease is very uncomfortable for me. Being in control and always at the driver's seat is where I've needed to be. It's probably why I've never tried a drug and haven't been drunk in seven years. I came down with a bad cold two weeks ago, longer than your typical man cold. Once the cold went away, the back pain fired up. I shaved my beard earlier this week, then chopped all my hair off yesterday, I guess in acts not unsimilar to Britney Spears in 2007. I regretted both decisions within five minutes, and I guess at this point we start from scratch. Can't wait to see how beautiful these locks look next summer. I've been in a lot of pain for a couple of days now. It's very odd, a very very similar situation to where I was about this time last year. A, feel, a feeling of stickiness, but trying to find something to occupy my mind so that my feelings never make it out. I went to the gym today and put on a really terrible lifting performance like I haven't done in years. Lifting while your back is lit up is rough. I finally drove down by the water and pulled over. Like a tidal wave, the tears started raging. Sadness, anger, jealousy, all that nasty shit that we tell ourselves we shouldn't feel, I felt. After I wiped the tears dry like the calm water does when the tsunami retreats, the anxiety and back pain were gone. One of the more powerful lessons I have learned in the last 365 days is that all feelings are okay. In fact, probably one of the least important questions we ask ourselves but don't need to is, why do I feel this way? 
or worse, the statement, I should not feel this way. Feelings are there. They are designed to be felt, but there is no necessity on the why behind the feeling. In my case, my recent pains are the barometer of the feelings brewing inside of me that I just needed to feel so they could leave. One statement I have tried to make a regular mantra to anyone that has confided in me for anything in the last few months is, you have every right to feel whatever you feel, as well as showing truckloads of empathy for them because they are working with their feelings, truly the greatest gift we can give to ourselves. If you're still here and reading this, I thank you. Feel them. And so that's our show for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, Eddie's just such a wonderful guy to learn from. So please, please, please head on over to his podcast and listen to them all. They're all so well worth your time and so helpful. Um, one of my most favorite recent ones is the uh, Christy Weepy one. She's a, a, a member of the Pain Psychology Center in Los Angeles. And uh, her journey is pretty, pretty awesome. She went from knowing nothing about this and not even realizing that she had TMS when she first started working there um, to discovering like, oh, I this. Yeah, we yes, we all have this. <laughs> um, and those are not her words, um, by the way. Disclaimer, disclaimer. Um, but thanks so much. Check it out. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.